Relationships in life are one of the main determinants of our mental health. The best leaders are the leaders who champion people, are secure enough in themselves to not have to push anyone else down. Supporting people to feel like they're not so on their own, that is life-saving. Mental health and emotional being, when they're bad, they're bad. Hi everyone and welcome to this episode of the podcast in partnership with The Megaverse. Meet Dr. Rada Modgill. The well-being guru since 2008, she's not your regular NHS GP, she's also a TV, radio and podcast superstar, spreading good vibes around the world. Dr. Rada believes we all have our secret stash of well-being magic, and she's here to uncover it, connecting us all in our quest for genuine well-being. From BBC Radio 1's Life's Hacks to CBB's Feeling Better, her energy and creativity shines across all platforms. A columnist for The Independent and the I newspaper, she shares tips on living our best lives. Dr. Rada's mental health commitment extends to monthly columns for Psychology's magazine and BBC Science Focus magazine. Get ready for a hangout with Dr. Rada, your go-to for positive vibes and a masterclass on living life to the fullest. Cue the music. Megaverse, the digital frontier of tomorrow. Megaverse stands at the cutting edge intersection of technology and imagination. It's a virtual realm where the limitless expanse of the digital universe unfolds, offering users unparalleled experiences and interactions. With its advanced Metaverse platform, users can craft unique avatars, forge connections, and even establish their own digital estates. It's more than just virtual reality. Megaverse is an expansive digital civilization teeming with opportunities for both individuals and brands. From immersive concerts to revolutionary retail experiences, Megaverse is redefining the way we engage with the digital world. As we stand on the brink of a new era where the lines between our physical reality and the digital realm blur, Megaverse is poised to lead the charge in this brave new world. Dive in and discover a universe without bounds. This really is the future. Rada, thank you so much for coming to join us on the podcast today. Honestly, it's a real pleasure. I've already enjoyed the first like 10 minutes of just chatting to you before. So that even if it was just that, I'd be happy just to go now because I've learned a lot from you already in 10 minutes. <laughs> okay, that's a wrap. It's all <laughs> over. It. It's, it's done. all finished. It's all gone. Yeah. <laughs> You've done a few podcasts before, but what I want you to do first of all is just to describe your um, professional qualifications for everybody so that they can understand that any point of view or opinion you have at least comes from a well thought out place. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Yeah. So I am a medical doctor. I work in the NHS. Um, I did about six or seven years of hospital medicine. I then moved into primary care, so general practice, um, and then did did that full time for maybe sort of four or five years, um, and then really thought to myself, I'm really missing out a little bit more on creativity, on teamwork, on how I can use my expertise in terms of health and well-being. Um, and so, how else can I use that? What other roles can I look for that still allow me to kind of communicate and to support people with their health and well-being, but just in a different way? Um, so I then went off, cast my net wide, and thought, what can I do? And landed up doing a lot of broadcasting work. So I've been a broadcaster on sort of TV and radio since 2008. Um, I've written a lot. I'm an author. Um, I've got involved in a lot in different campaigns, public health campaigns. Um, basically, my remit is if there's something that inspires me and something that I feel is worthwhile doing, or likewise, something that I feel 
people aren't talking about but needs to be talked about, then I will go and do it. <laughs> that will be a yes from me. So yeah, lots of different remits. I have four or five different jobs. Um, like I say, all in the health and wellbeing space, but very much in different contexts of how that affects people, impacts people. And very, very interested in how, I suppose, my real big passion is how. So we read lots of articles about health and wellbeing. We read about the theory of what we should do. But always at the end of those articles, I'm like, and now what? How do I do that? So I'm all about the how. I'm all about kind of supporting people to work out actually in this moment, what do you do? How do you take that advice and make it into something tangible and practical and something you can see? But also I think we're really backwards at integrating our life events or what happens in life, um, like financial issues, relationship breakdown, grief, for example, all of those things. How do we kind of integrate that and those events into our health and well-being and I think at the moment life seems to be very separate from the conversation around health and well-being mm. okay let's go back to this this event that people keep regurgitating over and over again since it happened three years ago mm. and seem to want to use corona covid lockdown as the reason that everything has changed now Something's changed for me, but I fundamentally didn't change as a human being. Mm, mm. And I'm not sure that everybody or most people really fundamentally change as a human, human being. Mm. But from what I've learned, this whole kind of like working from home mm -hmm. approach has been something that's really kind of like dug itself in and become part of everyday life for lots and lots of people in business where employees are now demanding okay even mm -hmm. though they might have signed a contract mm -hmm. to work nine to five five days a week <laughs> yes. demanding the uh, the freedom or the ability or the flexibility to be able to work from home and do some of their job that way yes when we look at that and we look at that 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 shift that's taken place do you think working from home is healthy so i think with anything, nothing is ever 100% healthy or 100% unhealthy. Unfortunately, it is that old remit of it's a balance. And I think it is a balance. I think, however, at the moment, the conversation is a little bit too skewed over to the side of working from home is much better for you. And I think we've forgotten about the benefits of work. So I think before, before COVID, before the pandemic, it was probably skewed a little bit too much in, in the sense of you have to be at work all the time. Not necessarily a lot of um, conversation or acknowledgement of people's personal lives and how that impacts them at work. But now that pendulum, I think, has swung way too much over the other side. And now actually the conversation is is literally like, this is really good for you. You should all be working from home. Um, you know, it's much better for you than being forced to go into work. And we need to remember the benefits of work. So I do a lot around work-life balance and kind of how we frame things. and. The, the, the silly thing is, is that we kind of, we look at work and life as two opposing forces. We look at them as enemies. Um, if you're talking about a, a sort of a fairy tale or a narrative, you know, it's the, the good and the bad, that that is always going to cause conflict and tension if we frame it in that manner. What we have to do is look at it and say, actually, there's no good and no bad. They just are. How can we allow them to coexist in parallel with each other? And if there are any conflicts, how can we actually sort them out in that in that fashion in a fashion where they're coming together rather than tearing each other apart because if we look at them as separate we're always going to be conflicted and we're always going to be feeling like we're missing out on something no matter which side of the divide we're on at that particular time 
So what are the benefits of work? Loads of benefits. Um, purpose, routine, structure, connection, social bonding, self-esteem, confidence, the exchange of ideas, um, solution finding, you know, physical health in terms of actually traveling into your, your, your place of work, for example. So there are just so many benefits to actually being physically in a workplace. And like I say, there are also benefits to working from home in terms of if you've got caring responsibilities, you know, it's, it's tricky for you at home. You can do other, other, other sort of bits and pieces, life admin, all that kind of stuff. But we really do need to remember, actually, work is good for us and it's good for us in lots of ways. And we see the converse of that when people lose their jobs or they're out of work or they can't go to work because of health issues or, or whatever else might be going on for them. You, you do see a deterioration in confidence and self-esteem and social connection and, um, you know, progression of ideas. So um, in answer to your question, um, we can't have, we can't be in favour of the pendulum being one extreme or the other. We have to have this conversation in nuance and we have to have a balanced conversation. But we do also need to shout about the benefits of being at work in that environment as well as talking about people's personal lives and, and kind of create that conversation to be a bit more realistic, I think. And then you add into the equation people working from home without having the facility to do so and extra stress on a, a marriage or a family because somebody's, you know, asking for everyone to be quiet while they're sat at the dining table and working. Yes. Um, and then you take people that, from the other side, you take people that go to work because they have to and they don't enjoy it, mm -hmm. okay, versus the people that go to work that thrive and, you know, they love what they do, they find great sense of purpose and mission in it rather than just making some money. So you bring all of those things onto the table. Mm. What then becomes an interesting conversation for me is how leaders lead that. Mm. You know, we look at businesses and, you know, an enormous amount of pressure on people that are in charge of whether it's teams or, or, or large groups or, or even companies, how they find a way to navigate through that kind of stuff. You know, where do they start? Yeah, well, that is tricky, like you say, because what I just spoke about was from the employee sort of point of view, wasn't it? But like you say, if you're the employer or a leader um, in that in that organisation, how do you manage people remotely? How do you bring them together? How do you get the best out of them? How do you how do you also really know what's happening for them in their personal lives? Because, you know, on a screen, you don't have those kind of those water cooler moments, do you, where you you open up a conversation or you might read someone's body language or their tone has slightly changed and you you ask them the question, are you okay? Is everything all right? So I think as leaders, it's extremely extremely challenging not just in terms of how you navigate the employee's kind of health, well-being and productivity and teamwork, but also how you manage your own stress because leaders have a lot of stress and they need to find effective ways to manage that stress, to, to debrief from that stress, to feel like they're getting somewhere. Otherwise, their stress is going to be projected onto their teams and vice versa. And without a leader, your whole organisation falls down without that cohesion. So I think I think it is very, very challenging for them. I think it's a matter of actually working on, I suppose, relationships, having those interpersonal conversations a bit more with, with your employees or members of your team. I think also, to a certain degree, actually having some rules and ideas around how many times people have to meet up as a team. And even if people don't necessarily want that, almost kind of seeing that as being slightly cruel to be kind because actually that brings cohesion um so having sort of boundaries and firm ideas around that and everyone knowing where they stand in that team um but also i think to to collaborate to talk to debrief with other leaders you know you need peer support 
if you're leading a group of people you need to know how the people are feeling that you're not alone in these challenges and work out solutions for it but it's not easy it's not easy for people to bring people together and to know what's going on for them personally and um, so you can get the best out of them in terms of productivity for your business I liken it to somebody who's a tenant and renting a property mm. who can't afford to pay the rent, hating on the landlord for demanding the rent and having no understanding that the landlord has got the mortgage to pay himself yes. and the rent that he's collecting on that property pays the mortgage. And if the tenant doesn't pay the mortgage, then he can't, doesn't pay the rent, then he can't pay the mortgage. Yes. Yet the tenant's like, you're out of order putting me under this pressure. It's like, pardon you know <laughs> yeah. I've got that pressure myself and you think about with business owners it's it's like the employees have their demands but do they have any understanding mm. about what it must be like to own a business and take all of that responsibility on mm. you know making sure that everybody gets paid mm-hmm. on time mm-hmm. making sure the the, 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 the vat, vats paid the taxes paid the books are up to date making sure there's enough clients in the business as well as then taking on the responsibility of making sure everyone's happy yes you know there's it's a, a lot it, it's yeah, it's, it it's lot. more actually than you would do for if you had children isn't it? because yeah. you're kind of almost taking on all of those aspects and dealing with all of their issues as well and I think that's why it's so important in any business or organisation or any way where you've got a team of people it's really important for people to exchange roles for people to actually try to I know you can never completely recreate that experience but you know in order for people to have empathy and understanding of the challenges that leaders face and vice versa I do think people need to swap roles sometimes just for a day or just for half a day even to try and understand and see the kind of pressures and experience that other person has because without that without that understanding and tolerance and empathy you know you don't have a very cohesive team if people really understood what you went through they might be a little bit more like oh, okay this is quite challenging this is quite hard and vice versa so i'm i'm a big fan of the idea of of ceos kind of you know sort of swapping with an employee in, in a in a smaller team to see actually what their experience is and how they understand each other because that in, improves relationships in in terms of a business it improves productivity empathy understanding and actually also just how everything works you know a business is a bit like a piece of machinery there are all these little cogs and in order to understand how to lead that organisation or how to work in it, you need to understand how all of those different pieces fit in. Although we know the theory, the theory is very different from the practical bits and actually seeing it and experiencing it. So I think that's a really interesting idea. I also think, I mean, I've always had this this image of and this idea for a, a TV show, which I'd love to do, where you would go into different workplaces, different work environments, and you just you'd go and do a whole reset, a whole like looking at the business, looking at the teamwork, looking at the individuals, their personal challenges, their personal issues in terms of health, well-being, how the teams are running, and you do a complete and utter sort of reset, and you tackle all of these all of these issues and challenges at the different levels, um, and look at the interactions between all the different people, and then and then finally, hopefully at the end of that, you'd see a business that was working much better, an organisation that was healthier, happier. Um, I think that'd be a fascinating thing to do, and in all the different work environments, because work is it's such a different place isn't it everyone has a different experience of work the environment the physical environment the hours I mean it's it's a fascinating thing and it takes up so much of our lives the number of hours we are at work is huge so why we don't put more resource and interest and skill into this area is a little bit of a mystery to me to be honest with you when when, when you say what you're saying it it makes me think of Something that's discussed outside of the workplace, okay, quite Mm. commonly, which is gratitude and kindness. Mm. And it's like, let's be kind. 
Okay, let's be grateful for what we have. And we think about it as individuals in everyday parts of our lives. Mm. But when have we thought about applying that to our employer or our employee? You know, how can I be really kind to this person? Mm. How can uh, how grateful am I that that person decided to choose this company as the company to work and and, and vice vice versa? Mm. How grateful am I mm. that the company chose me to work for them? Yes. You know, imagine yes. if you got up every day being grateful for the fact that you had the chance to develop your career, evolve and grow. Um, <clears throat> and and you had the chance to be kind to others because kindness to me is is all about how it makes you feel. You oh, know? 100%. If I'm really kind to you, mm. it makes me feel good, yeah, you know? I, know I, I get I the know. win. Of course, you get the win as well. But, yeah. the, but I, I walk away from it being kind to you as someone who feels really good about what I've just done. Oh, 100%. And actually, there is a chapter in my book about kindness because, and I'm, I get really... She just really, plugged the book yeah, again. Here's a book, OK? She's plugging a book. It's called <laughs> Know Your Own Power. <laughs> it's going to come up a few times in this episode, right? So the, so the reason I... So I'm very passionate about... Um, ideas or I, I suppose we see them as concepts I'm really passionate about con we frame them as concepts like kindness and purpose and joy and our ability to comfort ourselves and imagination all of these things and these words we've treated as a concept and we've treated as we've treated them as though they are for primary school children like they're nice if you can get them they're not really that relevant they're a bit airy fairy they're a bit fluffy you know and actually they don't really make a difference in the real world you know they're for that they're a bit immature they're not things that we need to pay attention to and I am really passionate determined and kind of angry in a good way in in the sense that I want to get I want to get all of these things that are so important like connection and kindness and purpose and all these things and I want to translate them into tangible strategies because they are they are tangible everyday well-being strategies and tools and we do not use them in that fashion so what is kindness what does kindness look like in everyday life what does it look like in the workplace what does it's not just a fluffy kind of some giving someone a hug or saying thank you or, or, or smiling it might be that but it might also be you know, saying can I take a bit of workload pressure off you can I do a few of those emails you know are you okay what's going on for you there, there are so many manifestations of kindness in day-to-day -day life that we just don't see and we don't use. And you're right, you know, the science tells us that kindness and purpose and imagination, you know, about kind of visualising what our goals are, where we see ourselves, also imagination for problem-solving and coming up with solutions and things like meditation for just being still so that those solutions can come to you. And I'm not talking about meditation necessarily in the traditional form of sitting there with eyes closed. I'm talking about running or listening to music or anything that makes your mind still allows that space for solutions to be found and you know we often think oh, there's a problem at work I need to sit down and write a list and rethink about it and rethink think up a solution in my experience if you use those kind of strategies I've been talking about the solutions come much more easily they're more organic and actually they are a bit like coaching, they're already inside you. They just needed space to come out. So I'm really keen on, like you say, translating all of these things into everyday life and imagine what a kind workplace looks like. I sometimes think we should change, we shouldn't use the word kind because it's become associated with sort of fluffiness and soft skills and things that are just nice to have. And I sometimes think we should create a new word that actually would kind of resonate with people, would have that gravitas around it well, there's a, of the there's, science. There's a statement you can use. Mm. It's called give a fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. <laughs> that 
needs to go on a hashtag on a T-shirt, maybe. <laughs> Kindness with a big line yeah, yeah, to yeah, it yeah, like absolutely, that. Absolutely, no. absolutely. But yeah, I mean, it's that's what makes the world go round. That's what makes people feel valued and heard and seen. All of these things like gratitude and kindness, they're the, pe- they're the things that make people feel well. And actually, like I said, in terms of blood pressure and pulse and your cortisol, stress hormone levels um, and your physical health and all of those things, they, they are all impacted by how we feel. And I think that's what we need to sort of translate into the workplace to, to allow the science to speak for itself and to get that concept of kindness or joy or purpose and, and, and let it be associated with the science. Because we need to talk in the language that people can hear. Um, and by that, I don't mean, a, you know, different languages across the world. I mean a language that that audience can hear, that resonates with them, that matters them, that means something to them that I suppose taps into their their pain points of, you know, where they're struggling or where they're finding challenges in. I mean, I do lots of broadcasting. I've I've done CBeebies, which is a, a channel for under fives. And I've lived in a house with two puppets and sung songs about emotions. And I've also done, you know, Radio 5 Live and BBC Breakfast, which is obviously for a very adult audience of kind of over 50s and 60s. So I'm saying the same thing in all of those programmes, but I'm just using different words and I'm just using a different language. But ultimately, all the sort of well-being advice I give, all the tips I give, they are exactly the same, but they just need to be packaged and framed in a different language in a different way um, so that people can actually see and hear them and find some resonance with them. So it's all about finding the right language and getting people to hear it, understand it, and be like, oh, okay, I get that. That matters to me. I'm going to listen to this and I'm going to do something about it. It's 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 interesting, you know. We think about uh, wellness, and then we when we understand in in, in companies as you have something called learning and development, mm-hmm. and so learning and development seems to be practical skills mm-hmm. related to the business. So learning and development. Do you know how to do an Excel spreadsheet? No, I don't. Okay, let's teach no, you. I how actually to do don't it. really. <laughs> I actually don't. How do you know that, Spencer? How did you know that? You know, do you, do, do you know how them. to do these 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 functions of your job? Okay, and if you don't, we'll teach you to do them. You know, you'd like to go into management. Well, maybe we'll put some time into your management training. But when you take learning and development, all of the things that you've just discussed fall into that category as well. It's kind of like let's take them as subjects that we need to learn Mm. to be good at you know so meditation as you gave an example you know Mm. i'm not the guy that's going to sat on the sit on the you know the Mm. the big fat beanbag cross leg (laughs) giving it on me that's not me but i run Mm. and because i run that's when when i meditate yeah and 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 you at that moment as soon as so what how are we teaching people what are the lessons that we're giving to people in business to say right let's teach you how to calm your mind let's teach you how to think about uh, solving these problems with a different type of mindset let's give you some practical steps and then let's let's do something called tmm okay teach monitor Mm -hmm. measure Mm -hmm. you know that's what i call it we teach Mm -hmm. it you monitor it you measure it okay and if your measurement of that is better than when you started then we're improving okay let's keep going yeah does that make sense to you it makes absolute sense to me and i've always wondered why it hasn't made sense to the majority of the world, to with you. So I, I always, I always say that I'm actually quite a simple person. A lot of the things that I say are fairly simple, but it's like we've forgotten them. And and you know the idea that we, the idea that we kind of teach people how to you know use a spreadsheet on a computer. Yes, okay, that's that's practically important. But the idea that we do that, but we don't look at someone in terms of how they think. You know, if they understand that their thoughts relate to their feelings, which relate to then their actions. If we don't teach people about 
or, or, or allow them to kind of sit back and say, what is my purpose? Where do I see my future? What matters to me? What values do I hold? Um, how can I, how do I deal with moments of stress and overwhelm when I'm in work? Like what happens to me? Do I become reactive? Do I argue? Do I get irritable? Do I withdraw? Like all of these things, it's about knowing yourself. And until we get sort of businesses and corporations and that world to understand that that is the fundamental basis of everything, without that, you can't have an employee who works effectively or productively. But also for them, you can't have someone who is able to respond to stress and challenge and all the things that we talk about that's important for business. We're touching the surface with the sort of technical side of things. Um, whereas actually what's underneath that is that kind of rock, that that fundamental basis of allowing them or supporting them to understand who they are. And once you know that, you trust yourself, you have those life skills of managing thoughts and emotions and all of those other things that, that impact our everyday lives. We can't get anywhere. It's like building a house on sand. It doesn't work. So yes, we 100%. That's It's the same at school with children. You know, we teach them maths and we teach them fractions. Great. But what about their emotional health? What about them understanding who they are and how they interact with people and why they feel sometimes difficult feelings? Why aren't we doing that? Because it makes no sense to me whatsoever. It, it really doesn't. And I think this is where the business world and kind of workplace well-being needs to needs to move towards 100%. I think that when I when when I hear you, it makes so much sense. Mm. Your frustration is why employers don't do that. So let's let, let's say I own a business. Mm. What am I looking for? Because mm. I suppose that's that's the problem of the guy that sat in the position that I am at. You know, I'm the mm. chairman of a group of companies, and so. If if it at the buck stops with me at the end of the day, okay, that's the that's the reality. So where do I even start? Hmm. You can you can tell me stuff, but where do I even start? How do I even know it to be true? You know what mm -hmm. what what, I, what have I got to look for? And I think a lot of the time, the the people that are in a similar function to me are not necessarily looking at the people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They're probably looking at the badly done spreadsheet that yeah. you can't do. <laughs> I'm not saying that, Spencer. But their focus maybe maybe on that more, of you know, course. reporting to shareholders. They're they're focused on making sure that you know the budgets have been kept. They're focused on making sure that the vision of the company is is the correct vision. You know, we want to achieve X in 2024 or whatever it may be, mm. rather than focused on the people. Now, when you take somebody else, I don't know, uh, Richard Branson. Mm. Richard Branson said, you don't look after the customers. Mm. You look after the staff. Yes. If you've got happy staff, yes. you'll have happy customers. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Um, and a lot of people heard that. That was probably 10 or 15 years ago that he said that. A lot of people heard that and were like, yes, exactly, and did nothing with it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. I know. Well, so, we all do that, so don't we? really that's, good idea. That sounds amazing. I yes, love that idea. Fundamentally. Okay, so <laughs> where are the KPIs that you were going to, <laughs> going to yeah, show me? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And so we, we then look at it and it's like, okay, so... How, how do you do that? How do I learn? Because until this was brought to me mm. and the data was brought to mm. me, it wasn't a thing. You no. know, if somebody left the company, 
and they were in an important function, mm. it was frustrating. Mm. Okay. It was annoying. And mm. it was like, right, can you stay until we find yes. your replacement? Like, oh, please? no, here we go. Again. Can you help me find your replacement? <laughs> in fact, can you interview them? Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Can you tell them exactly what to well? do? Yeah, just before you leave. Yeah, thanks very much. No, no, no. Three months of training them <laughs> in their new role. Yeah. And, but it was like, it's like, it was, it was a pain, but not often would I have been sat down and said, this is the financial cost to the business mm. of you losing that member of staff. And let me tell you, another 40 over the last 12 months have left, 25% of your staff have left, another 40 have left, mm. okay? And this is the actual cost. Mm. Because had someone said to mm. me, this is the actual cost, I'd have gone, holy mother of God. Yes. Yeah? Yes, absolutely. And, and you know, when when I... When I look at this kind of stuff, for me, it's it's bringing that to my attention in a way that can make me as a business owner mm. stop, mm. okay? And just for a minute, think and say, how could I do this better? Mm. And then understanding people that do what you do and other people in this space actually form such a fundamental part mm. of taking the business from where it is and repairing cracks mm. okay that are financially crippling for businesses in yes. many cases and turning that business into an even better performing business without having to recruit a whole load of new people yes just by taking the people that they've got absolutely well you know what that that is also that is a kind of reflection you know how in our individual lives when we're about to, when like a life crisis happens when something really goes bad in our lives or there's a everything falls apart. We, we've kind of, we've kind of known, if we're being honest with ourselves, not always, but most of the time, we've kind of known it's on its way. We've kind of got warning signs. We've got a feeling in our stomachs of being like, oh, this is not great. I'm a bit uncomfortable about this, or this is not quite right. We've had, we've had time where we know deep down that something's not right, but we'll only address it when that crisis happens. So what, so in the same way of, often business leaders they don't really want to look at it because as you quite rightly said they've got loads of stuff on their plate they've got to do this they've got to do that they've got to kind of look at the vision of the business and like you say all the targets and the economics and everything else which is really important but but what I suppose I'm trying to say is is that if we're frightened about addressing something or we deny it or we avoid it or we stick our head in the sand um that that is frightening you know we, when when fear happens for us we don't want to look at something but what we have to do is say to ourselves, okay, well, this is frightening, frightening to look at it. I don't really want to look at it, but it's more frightening if I don't. And that realisation of actually, I don't really want to do this, but if I don't do it, things are going to be a lot worse. In the same way, businesses, you know, they can look at the short term in terms of those things and those outcomes. But ultimately, what's more frightening is actually not addressing sort of employee well-being and not addressing these issues and not putting in the, the training or the resources because you know that short-termism can only last for so long and, and all of that stuff we've been talking about like purpose and training and you know really kind of investing in employees and their well-being that is going to be the long-term solution the sustainability that the fact that they're going to their business going to is going to be able to produce that outcome for three four five years or decades that's what's going to hold them together so you have to have the element of the short term but you, but ultimately, underlying that much important is the long term, and all the things we've been talking about is long term sustainability of businesses. That's what it ultimately is. You can keep kind of a, a ship afloat for a little while, you know, ignoring all that, but you're not going to have your business for very long, I don't think, if you don't pay attention to, like you say, 
the high rates of in, of absenteeism, um, of, of days off sick, of recruitment, of people leaving, of of, of teams not getting on and, and lack of cohesion because people are not engaging because they're not well or they're stressed or, or they're not productive, they're not doing their work. We know all of these stats, we know all these figures and what we have to do is we have to get those figures together, we have to get the science together of why this stuff works in terms of well-being and employee well-being and we have to then put that, if you like, in a bit of an equation and then show what it can equal and show the benefits it can, it can equal in terms of putting the resource, the time, the training and all of those kind of, um, what I would call the sort of the simple stuff. So in one of my workplaces many years ago, they suddenly decided to get rid of uh, free tea and coffee from the kitchen. <laughs> so no tea bags, no coffee, no milk, no facilities to make a cup of tea. That was it. The difference that made to how people felt, not just in terms of being valued, but also that space just to get together in that kitchen and have chats and feel part of something and feel a sense of belonging, that was horrendous for that organisation because people thought, my gosh, if you can't even be bothered to invest in a couple of tea bags to keep us vaguely happy then why are we here what is that about and then people started then going out to get teas and coffees on the high street so you then lost that sense of teamwork and people being in the building together that's a really simple example but you have to make your employees feel valued and sometimes it is actually even just the very simple things that can do that as well as all of the other stuff that we mentioned already in our conversation. It's interesting. Um, Danielle, my business partner, her father was a coal miner. Mm. And when they closed the colliery, everything changed yes. because the whole community, everything, you know, there was the social club for the coal mine. There was the football team, the rugby team, the cricket team. There was the wives. There was the women's, uh, what was it called? Women's, uh, uh, women's lib and, and all yes. that kind of stuff. All of these communities were built around the coal mine. Yes. You take the coal mine away, you take away the community and everyone dissipates and it brings people into, uh, it makes people realise what they had. Yes. You know, where they belonged. Yes, it's know? a sense of belonging. Because you know, like I said, we spend so many hours of our lives at work and ultimately, when you think about what humans need, we all have universal needs. We need to feel valued and seen and heard for who we are. We need to feel loved. We need to feel safe you know, physically and emotionally. But also, we need to feel connected and we need a sense of belonging. And these universal human needs, when they're not met or addressed or fulfilled, then behaviour becomes dysfunctional. Things don't work. Things break down. And actually, ultimately, all of these things we're talking about come back to those human needs. And when people are in distress or they're not behaving that great or they're not working very well, just to stop and think, what is it in this moment? What need is that person not having fulfilled in this moment? Because, you know, if we have an argument in our daily lives with someone we love, okay, we can often stop and say, we can either react and respond and it gets worse, or we can say, okay, there's something in you right now that isn't being met, a need that you, you're not having fulfilled. What is that? Is it that I'm not listening to you? I'm not looking at you because I'm on my phone? Is it because you're, you're feeling tired and you haven't had enough sleep? Are you hungry? Now, what is it? What is that need that is not being fulfilled in terms of why you're being upset or angry or frustrated? So again, it's, it's down to sort of basic human psychology. How do we encourage and foster an atmosphere of belonging in a workplace? Because people want to belong, they want to feel part of something, they want to feel valued. And once we get those things right, and that manifests in lots of different ways, time, attention, training, you know, people asking them what really matters to them, people listening about maybe their caring responsibilities they've got at home. If we can do that, 
then people will stay and people will be happy and people will work harder and people will go and shout about your business all over the place and they'll recommend you to other people. So it is, it sounds, it is simple and yet we've totally forgotten about how to do that. I remember I joined a company when I was about 24, 25 and after a year or so they gave me um, equity in the company. Mm. Now, to give you an idea about how small that equity was, my dividend was £137. Mm. So it was tiny, yeah? But I got it in a certificate and it was in a frame. Mm. I was unrecruitable Mm. in an industry that poached people all the time. I was unrecruitable for 15 years thereafter. Mm. Nobody could recruit me Mm. because I was a shareholder. Mm. I had equity in the business. I belonged. Mm. It meant something. Exactly. The dividend wasn't worth the paper it was written on. But it was a demonstration that I was valued and I mattered. And it's interesting how something as small as that meant so much to me. Yes. You know, way more. And maybe that's something to do with my history and my life growing up. Who knows? But but it meant so much to me. Mm. And then when you go back to the coal miners, you think about how much it must have meant to them. That's not a nice job. Mm, but, I know. You know, being a mile underground, cutting mm. coal out. You know, you saw the videos in the years gone by. Mm. They'd come out black, oh, yeah. you know, covered in soot and all kinds of stuff. It wasn't a healthy environment. But they belonged. Mm. Let's talk about leaders. When you look back over your years, who's the leader that you worked with that you have the fondest memories of and why? Mm. That's a good question, actually. Um, I think it was probably someone in one of my radio roles, actually. Um, And I think I have the fondest memories of them because they were a champion for other people. They championed other people. Mm. And I think in lots of different environments, and again, this is something that I think in in the sort of the work sector in the business world is really, we need to really, really get a hold of this and get a grip of this because, um, you know, so much of the chat around being successful is around pushing other people down, push, pushing yourself forward, your success at the expense of someone else or at, to the detriment of someone else. And you only be successful if you if you basically just shove yourself forward, you're really egotistical and you shout a lot and you make a lot of noise and you push, push, push. Um, and I think there is this kind of idea that or this, this sense of like um, we can't get anywhere unless we do harm to someone else, just, just in terms of career prospects. It's just not right. It's just not, it's just not, it's not the truth. It's not how things work. I don't think it's necessarily how we want to live either. But also it, it sends out the message that there is only so much to go around for everybody, which is not true. So we get this sense of lack or the sense of there's not enough. We don't have that sense of abundance. Actually, there's plenty of opportunities for all kinds of people. And we don't need to, we don't need to do something to the detriment of someone else to be successful. Um, and I think the sometimes at work the conversation is around competitiveness I'm not talking about competitiveness in terms of between businesses absolutely that's that that's there and that needs to be there I'm talking about in relationships at work and with colleagues and peers you know there we need to reframe actually what a a good leader is and the reason that that person in that radio role I really respected and liked was because she was secure enough in herself in her role, she knew who she was, she knew her values, she knew what mattered to her, she treated people well, everybody well, right from the top person right down to a person you might think was a lower level. She treated everyone the same, but she also 
championed people. She moved them forward. She gave them opportunities. She saw the potential in them. She gave them a chance, basically, to do what they wanted to do. And the loyalty that she encouraged in people was immense, was extraordinary. And you had you got rid of this atmosphere of insecurity. And as a result, everyone got on so much better. So for me, le- the, the best leaders are the leaders who champion people and who, like I say, are secure enough in themselves to not have to push anyone else down and who treat people, everybody, the same. So when I was in hospital, sometimes people would say to me, oh, Radha, you know, you talk to the consultants, but you also talk to the porters and the nurses. You're so nice to everyone, the security guards. Why would you do that? Someone said to me, I said, why wouldn't I do that? Why wouldn't I? Why is that even a question? But for some people it is. And I don't get that. I just don't get any of that. And I don't respect it. And I don't like it either. Look, I understand if someone's having a bad day. Yeah, of okay. course. We all have I, bad days. I understand. My, my wife's yeah. terrible when she's hangry. You know? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so am I, actually. And so and so, so I, I do understand some people are having a bad day, but I've, I've never understood. And we have probably in Dubai more of a polar opposite there than we do mm. here in the UK. Um, but I don't, I, don't, I, start, I don't get, you know, for me, it, it's just, it's the height of rudeness. And if you're prepared to talk to people that way, then you're probably not the kind of person I'd like to be friends with either. Absolutely, um, absolutely. You know, the, the, I think that, you know, you, you sometimes see people who are really high up in their field of work, really respected, have done incredibly, incredibly well. And you come across those golden kind of nuggets of people who, they're, they're so important. And yet they're so humble and they're so down to earth and they just they're just so lovely and they're so kind and nice and respectful. And I just think they are the best people. And I would like to think and I will still hold on to this hope that actually to be successful, um, I think it'd be lovely to just have that around being kind and respectful to people. I don't want to believe that we live in a world where you can only become successful by pushing other people down. I hope that's not the case. No. I don't want it to be. I hope um, so too. Okay, <laughs> let's 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 try and give some people some tips and advice right now on 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 maybe if they're let, let, let's go from an employee's point of view. Mm. You work for a company and you want you, you you want to feel more connected. You want to feel more engaged and involved, and you want to feel like that you should you should belong mm. what kind of approach do you think an employee could have to that and then we'll flip it the other way around yeah so I think for the employee you need to get honest with yourself first about who you are what you want why you're there and actually what's kind of bugging you what what is making you feel like you don't belong so we need to get really you need to get really honest and reflective with yourself and answer some of those questions because you can't expect someone else to understand or to have any idea about how to solve these if you don't know yourself. And we don't often, I mean, how often do we sit down and literally just think, okay, what am I doing in my life? Where am I going? What's happening for me? What do I really want? What's making me feel sad? We don't do that. We kind of just rush about. We kind of feel like we, we don't, we're not enjoying things, but we don't really interrogate ourselves as to why. So we need to get, you need to get honest about that, get clear about what you want, what you're asking for. I think you also need to get honest about what your responsibility or your part has been in in the sort of situation you're you're in at the moment so if you're not happy what's been your part to play in that what's been your responsibility it's very easy for us to blame someone else and say oh it's all their fault they're doing this and they're giving me these shifts and they're not listening to me in any relationship any dynamic there's always two parties (laughs) and there's never one party totally to blame so what has been your part in that get really clear on that 
And then it's about trying to communicate that to your team, to, to the people who are, who are going to help you and support you in changing this, moving this forward. So you can't avoid that. You can't avoid that conversation. You can't hide from it. You know, you can't avoid necessarily those kind of difficult conversations. You need to be honest and tell them and communicate with them about what you want and what's possible. And then you need to come up with a kind of a plan that works for both people. You need to come up with some compromises, some understanding. There might be a period of trial and error where you try some things that don't work. You adapt, you're flexible. Ultimately, you're not, you know, expectations are important as well. So you can't expect everything to be 100% lovely all the time. That's just not real life. So what are you prepared to give? How much of that percentage from that 100% are you willing to accept that won't always make you happy and to be realistic about that as well? So I think there are a few of the things there. I think also to do that, you don't just need to look at your work life. You need to look at your personal life and what's going on in that. You know, our personal lives, we don't leave those at home (laughs) we take some of that with us to work no matter how good we are at kind of hiding it or putting it away in a box you know what is going on for you personally what's happening in your own life so to do a bit of a review of that as well as your work sort of life is also important but also I think it's about relationships you know relationships in life are they are one of the main determinants of our mental health and our emotional well-being so what are your relationships like at work because no matter how hard work gets or how challenging it gets if we have meaningful relationships that we trust then actually we'll get through that you know I often say to people it's the it is the people at work who make it as opposed to sometimes the work itself so working on relationships what are you doing in those how much time are you putting into that are you nurturing them are you going out to see people are you making the extra effort what are those it's all about relationships and if you can get that right I think it will help you feel a little bit better in terms of work okay good and then from an employer's point of view, okay, you want your team to do better. You, you know, you've banged the drum, you've gone in the office, mm. you know, you're telling everyone <laughs> to crack on, you know, you know, we need to achieve these goals and these targets. <laughs> Come on, guys, it's just make it happen type of thing. You know, um, you've you've offered a team building day up and, you know, you've done an incentive and someone said, you know, yeah, it'd be nice if you got a birthday cake for everyone on their birthdays. And so you now come in with a birthday cake with the candles yes, on. And yes. There's bowls of fruit every every Monday morning in the office that last five minutes. And, and guess what? There's as many tea bags and coffee as you need. Yeah. What As, as, as a business owner or someone in, in, in a leadership position, mm. what... What tips and advice could you give for people in that place to to start on that journey of Mm. trying to understand people better and do more and be better with them? I think you have to, it's helpful to look at it in terms of different categories or levels. So for example, you need to look at the individual level and the team level, I think. So the team level, you're talking about cohesion or connectivity, how people are working together in terms of their roles, boundaries, roles, people knowing what they're supposed to be doing, knowing who they're supposed to be interacting with, who's doing what, is that all working in that machinery kind of cog system I was talking about? Are the kind of technical bits of that working, the logistics working of that? And then look at the relationships within that team. So how are they? Are there any conflicts, any issues, any anyone's shoulders rubbing up against anyone else's? Do, do you need to get them together and sort that out with a bit more focus and a bit more in-depth in terms of discussion with them? So looking at that kind of the, the team side of it, and then you need to kind of look at the individuals. What is going on with each person in, in that in that team? personally um you know at work their productivity what have been some of the issues before addressing some of the issues I think sometimes when issues come up for employees um and even if they're kind of seen as historical people remember stuff at work they hold on to stuff they they bear grudges sometimes they have memories of when things went badly wrong and and unless they're addressed and addressed head-on 
they'll always have that a little bit in the shadow and that will still be affecting relationships and or how they work. So not being afraid to kind of dig back into the past and say, how was this? When problems start, get onto them early, get them sorted out early so they don't fester. We all know what it's like in a workplace when things fester and they linger and they get worse and worse and worse when they're not addressed. Um, so, and then looking at the, then those sort of two levels of the group and the individual, and then you want to look at sort of the two categories of working on the deficits or what's wrong with the business but then also kind of the pluses. So then working on what is going to help people's purpose and their sense of vision and their goals. So you need to kind of look at what's not right and what you need to fill in terms of gaps and deficits um, and what's kind of been maybe a source of conflict. But then looking at actually, it's not just about filling those gaps. It's about helping people thrive. What does thriving look like? What does that mean? Getting feedback from them. You know, sometimes employers... You know, they they assume they know what employees want. They assume they know what the problems are. That's not the case. You know, we can't assume anything. It's actually asking them specifically, what are the issues? How do you feel? What are the problems here? You need to tell me. What do you think would help? You don't necessarily need to follow that, but you need to get them to tell you because if you're doing it from a top-down sort of structure, it's not going to work and they're not going to engage with it either. Mm, very valuable points. Okay. We've plugged it already. <laughs> Here we go. So, uh, Dr. Rada wrote a book called "Know Your uh, Know Your Own Power." So let me just let me just read a bit about it, and then we'll talk about it. Okay. When life throws us curveballs, it can be hard to cope. We may feel uncertain, powerless, and stuck. Discover how you can rise to even the toughest of challenges. In this inspiring book, Dr. Rada helps us reframe crisis, testing times and unexpected change as opportunities and teaches us how to unleash the power within us. So when life hits hard, we can withstand the upheaval. Tell me more about your book. So I think this book was probably ready to be written for about 15 years <laughs> before I wrote it. <laughs> but actually, I did, I wrote it did in... you have a quill? <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Very, very slow process it was to write. Um, so I wrote it in the kind of Easter time of 2021. And I suppose that was because, uh, well, the pandemic was kind of still kind of going on. Um, but I think basically all of my broadcasting work, all the things I'm interested in in terms of mental and emotional health um, and sort of supporting people with the how-to, um, they'd all kind of culminated in all the stories that I've heard in my different roles. And I just thought to myself, wouldn't it be useful to create a book on kind of how to do life. <laughs> um, and when I said to people, people say, what's your book about? I was like, well, it's, it's kind of how to get through life. They're like, well, how many pages is that? <laughs> that must be a long book. So I just thought, wouldn't it be amazing to write a guidebook on like when life happens and when it gets really hard and like I say, everything falls down, falls apart around you or you just feel a bit lost. How on earth do you navigate that, get yourself up and out of it and learn the lessons that hopefully will reduce the risk of that kind of thing happening again because like I say life impacts us all you you walk around down the street today and you look at people's faces or look at what they're doing what's going on for them at the moment what's happening in their lives you know we don't really pay attention to life events so I wanted just to really like I said create a bit of a toolkit a guide on like when everything is absolutely terrible how do you survive that period because sometimes we just need to survive and we haven't got the capacity to actually do anything else and that's fine 
How do we learn the lessons from that about what our part was in that, what other people's part was, what the kind of strategies and tools we want to learn about ourselves to, to get our know ourselves to know ourselves a bit better? And then eventually, finally, how do we then act? How do we take action to change something for the better, to live the lives that we want to live and to live authentically, I suppose, as who we are? So that was the idea behind the book. And how long ago did you publish it? So the hardback was out last year and the paperback has just come out about a month ago. Did you do an audio book? I did, yes. So it's on Audible? It's on Audible, it Did is, you enjoy yeah. the experience? Oh, I love it. So audio is my favourite medium. I love voice. I think it's really intimate. I think it's it's something which you can't really get any other way, that kind of feeling of intimacy from radio or audio. Um, and it was my... I've always wanted to be in a, like a radio play. <laughs> Not necessarily the Archers, but like maybe an Agatha Christie drama or something like that. Um, and so going to do my own audio book was just the best thing in the world. I loved it. I love using my voice like you do to just make a difference and to just do something positive. I think voice is just beautiful. Mm. I think that with the right kind of voice that that you can you can reach into people's souls. Okay, you, can. And you can connect with them and regardless of what happened three years ago I find that a bit of a blip if I'm honest with you because I think that all the way through life people struggle yes. people people do and, yeah. and 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 that's with their financial challenges of having to cope with the salaries they're on with um, relationship issues mm. um, with employment issues with with everyday dramas mm. you know just mm. you know a puncher on the motorway Oh, it will exactly. You know, exactly. Can send you into a horrible spiral, mm. and and knowing that there are people that care, mm. and and feeling that there are people that care mm. can give you some form of comfort. And it's it's essentially the metaphorical example of, you know, your mum putting her arms around you when you're a kid, okay, and kissing you on the forehead or kissing you where you grazed your knee and telling mm. you it's you know it's all gone now, it's going to be okay, and and all of a sudden you felt comforted and, and calmer, uh, you know, and you dust yourself off and you you know go and live and fight another day. But as adults, we don't have that, you know, kiss on the greys on the knee. But no, we, we don't. We, no. It doesn't. It doesn't mean we don't need it. Oh, we hundred percent. In fact, I think adults need it even more because we have been told that because we're adults, we don't need it and we shouldn't need it and we should just get on with it. And and then we're like, but I do need it. And why? <laughs> Everyone else seems like they don't need it. And it's just me. And I think again. The, the reason for that book as well was to help people feel like they're not on their own, that, that they're not so alone in this, because we are, like you said, we all struggle. And the pandemic really, it just highlighted the struggles. But we have, we've had struggles every single day of our lives. And so for me, the, the, wor the worst thing for me, even when I was growing up, was that I never wanted anyone to be distressed, unhappy, or to feel alone with anything because loneliness and feeling like it's only you and there's no one else there for you is the worst feeling if you can feel like actually there are other people going through this you know I, I I kind of I've got some tips or some advice about what I could do I've got someone telling me like you said voice and the and words they they can do a lot to help heal someone to help hold someone in that space before they can actually feel better themselves and just having that I suppose that companionship in terms of voice and words, I think is everything. And I think it's life-saving. You know, we talk about a few weeks ago, I went on my basic life support course in terms of physical life-saving. For me, you know, supporting people to feel like they're not so on their own, that is life-saving because mental health and emotional well-being, when they're bad, they're bad. And kindness and being there for someone, that, that does save lives. And that's the truth. And we don't give it the kudos or the... Or the gravitas that it deserves, I don't think. Well, there's a lot more people that kill themselves than get hit by a bus. 
Yeah. That's the truth of the matter. And I think that you know, it when you're when you're alone and you're uh, you become a child again when you're alone. 100%. Because the fears become big and they they become overwhelming mm-hmm. and and only do people consider suicide when they're alone. 100%. They don't 100%. consider suicide when they're not alone. And it doesn't no. matter whether you're surrounded in a room with 50 other people that know you. Mm. You being alone in your mind is a, is a really challenging thing. Now, mm. we're filming this in the middle of November at the moment. Mm. Um, we've got Christmas coming. And Christmas is a really lonely time for some people. Mm. You know, people that may have lost partners or may be going through a divorce or, you know, they're, they're elderly and their kids live in other countries and stuff like that. It can be mm. a, a really lonely time. Um, and I really feel that at Christmas. And so what I try and do every Christmas is invite people that I mm. know uh, to come and spend the day with us on Christmas. And that, you know, and, and it, because I know what it means to them, you know, to, to, to have that sense of community and family and, and, mm. and, and just enjoy rather than sitting in front of the telly on your own, you know, with yeah. a ham sandwich and yeah. you know, feeling miserable. I wish that everybody when it comes to a time like this, whether it's Thanksgiving in the States or Christmas right now that's coming up in the UK, if everybody was just able to be a little bit more kind Mm. and to go and find one person Mm. that they could be kind to over the Christmas period. It wouldn't It wouldn't take much. It doesn't take it much. It wouldn't take it? much. There's no. a lady called Gillian who's a friend of mine in Dubai. She's in her 60s. I know she's alone. Mm. And it doesn't take much to invite her to lunch, you know. And she's so excited. <laughs> yeah. You know, my parents are flying over and I'm like, my parents, she's like, I'm so excited to spend Christmas with you. And I know, I thought, I know where she'd be. Mm. She'd be in her apartment on her own, mm. putting a brave face on. Mm. Okay. And that's just, you know. I think this time of year, like you say, and... It's made worse as well by all of the adverts of like you know these perfect families sitting around a a table with loads of well exactly with loads of food and all the the whole framing of Christmas and like you say other other times of year is around this is perfect this is happy this is a celebration this is wonderful we can't wait for Christmas we're so excited I think if you were to ask most people. Most people, I think, would probably say there's a lot of stress and or loneliness and or difficult, challenging emotion associated with those times of year. I think everyone, even if it's not necessarily very challenging emotions or loneliness, it's stress. And actually the the whole build up to this, this whole kind of momentum of, of, of how, I suppose, um, you know, the shops and everyone kind of telling to buy things and get ready for it. And the whole pressure of it, it's like a pressure cooker. It's like, how do you expect people not to get stressed out and tear their hair out or fall out? Or, you know, then there's a big conversation around who's spending Christmas Day with who and who's going to travel here, there and everywhere. And you're just like, oh, do you know what? I just want, most people I talk to just want a peaceful day or just a day of just, like you say, very simple I suppose encounters or connection, but you know, coming coming on to loneliness, that is you know that and New Year, I think are really really just such pivotal times for people and for their mental health because, again, New Year is this thing where we framed it as New Year, new start. Look back at the last year, what's happened? Where have you got to with your life? What what is life about? And those questions can be very very difficult when you're not feeling in a good place. Mm-hmm. So I think, like you say just invite just thinking about other people just getting them involved everyone just wants to feel loved and i know that's simple but if we allow people to feel loved and safe physically and emotionally a lot of the problems in the world that we see i don't think would be happening Mm. 
good point. Lastly, I experienced my first um, real dose of understanding gratitude at Christmas. Mm. And that, that gratitude that I experienced was meeting people that knew how to wrap Christmas presents. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> you know, you're talking about Excel spreadsheets. Well, my wrapping's not that great either, I have to say. <laughs> I'm terrible, but when I see people who know how to wrap Christmas presents, I'm in awe. I'm like, I'm so glad oh, that you're on this I've planet. I've got a friend like that. She's all about the ribbons. She does all the little creases with scissors. She presents this beautiful thing to me, and I'm there like, oh, here's a plastic bag. There's something in there, I think, for you. I hope you like it. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Arada, thank you so much for coming to join us on the show today. It's been great chatting to you. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much, Spencer. 